Three, two, one. I think it's time that we start the conversation to silence the shame. Silence the shame. Silence, silence the shame. Silence is the difference between treatment or pain, life or death. Silence the shame. Speak up now and silence. 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 Silence the shame. Hello, hello, hello. What's up, everybody? It's been a minute. Free. How are you doing, my brother? I'm doing all right. I'm I'm solid, as I've been saying lately. I just want to, on behalf of Silence to Shame, um, just again offer our sincerest condolences on the passes, passing of your father mm-hmm. um, after your namesake. Um, mm-hmm. We know that these last few months on top of COVID has been a lot for your family and, and we love you and we value everything that you do with our organization and for our organization. So, mm-hmm. And on behalf of my family, I'll say I thank you guys for... Um, supporting us and just you know all that you guys gave to this to make a difficult process a little bit lighter so i really do appreciate you know you guys are all in the program and everything so we really appreciate um what you have done for us um collectively so thank you very much you're quite welcome and we wouldn't have it any other way that's the one thing that i love about silence to shame we only have a few full-time members but we have some incredible consultants and volunteers that make up the silence of shame family as well as our board. And so we love you. We, we always try to love on everyone. That's what I like about, even if it's just a text message. So mm-hmm. we're here Thank for you, brother. We're here Thank for you. Thank you very, very much. And, and we know we want to just apologize to our <laughs> listeners. You know, it's been a tough year with COVID and being able to really bring you the quality content. Of course, we can't go into the studio right now. Um, but we are getting ready to ramp up more and more episodes. So get ready. Today is episode 35. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we'll be at 50 by the end of the year. That's going to be our <laughs> <laughs> We're going to shoot for that. But we're excited. Um, can't believe. Can you believe it's, it's already September free? I was man, a lot. Man, no. And honestly, to have been going through COVID and quarantined and all of these different things that happened this year, I felt like it would have been moving slower, but the fact that we're here now feels like it didn't slow it down. Right? It's flying by. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, you know, hopefully everybody is safe and well, and um, September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, um, something you know that is near and dear to my heart um, in terms of the, the work that we do at Silence of Shame. Uh, you know, it's no secret my father took his own life when I was seven months old. And my best friend took her own life in 2014. And in 2015, I had serious suicidal ideation. So we are here today and and hopefully whoever's listening or will hear this episode in the future, that we can just provide some really great information um, that you can educate, you know, yourselves as well as your family members, your peers, coworkers, people in your churches. Um, We have such a dynamic guest that's on here today that we've actually started officially doing some work with. Um, We had our first uh, QPR trainings, and you'll learn more about what QPR is, but those are essentially um, suicide prevention trainings. And so, Free, how about we welcome, 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 welcome to the show, Miss Fonda Bryant. (laughs) (laughs) Thank y'all, thank y'all for um, having me here today. Um, Suicide prevention is very near and dear to me. I work a lot on not only stopping it through education, 
but also educating people on and breaking down the walls of stigma because a lot of people automatically think that um, if you attempt suicide or you die by suicide, you're weak, you're crazy, you're selfish, and um, I'm here to let people know that we're none of those things and that we can recover and we can live a good life. Uh Absolutely. Now, Fonda, you are a mental health and suicide prevention advocate, and I just learned that you are the founder of your own nonprofit, Wellness Action and Recovery. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Uh, It's a long time coming. It's still a baby. I just got all my paperwork a couple months ago. But what I really want Wellness Action Recovery to be is just like my logo. Um, I help a lot of people, and I'm always telling them, you know, it's things that we can do besides taking medication, besides going to therapy. It's reading. It's working out. It's walking. It's listening to music. It's all these different things now. Eating right. Getting enough sleep. So my organization is going to be about a little about kicking people in the butt who have a mental health condition to put in the work because a lot of people think, oh, if I just take my medication or if I just go to therapy, that's all I got to do. It's no magic pill. So I always tell people, you got to be willing to put in the work because I have to put in the work every single day. And the last couple of weeks, it went into overtime, you know, putting in the work. So I'm hoping my organization will be about um, people who have mental health issues to realize that if you put in the work, you can get better and you can live a good life. And the thing is now with mental health, it's not the same old, you know, just going to therapy, just taking medication. It's so many things now that we can do for our mental health to make us better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you know, it really is, Fonda, it's about a lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. Because for Definitely. me, with, with having lost, you know, I lost my sister last year and, and the grief can still be debilitating at times. And so I find myself having these, you know, not so healthy thoughts sometimes. And I now have to take myself back to a place where I get out and walk and I do things differently. Um, so I certainly understand. And I have to make a commitment to myself um, to be able to do the work, right, that it takes to get out my head and to get out of the house and to get moving and to try to eat right. Um, so it really is, you know, a lifelong commitment and a lifestyle change to try to be our best self. So that's why I think the title of your foundation is really powerful. And, and um, you know, Silence of Shame looks forward to collaborating, you know, and doing some future work with you. Um, but we're going to jump right into it. Um, first, I would just like to start by just saying, you know, what is a suicide prevention advocate and, and, and what is your role, Honda? Well, for me, and it's um, uh, learning through um, trial and error. I am a uh, suicide survivor myself, 25 years on Valentine's Day. So I'm very mm. glad to be here. Amen. And I owe it all. Thank you to my Aunt Kelly, my Aunt Spanky. Uh, we grew up together. She's three years older than me. But I always looked at her as not my aunt, like my sister. And so thank goodness she was in my life because for me um, and in the African-American culture, not talking about mental health, looking at it as a demon, looking at it as we're lazy, we're crazy. It's not helping us. It's not helping us. And it was only until I almost died by suicide 25 years ago that my mom told me while I was in the psychiatric hospital, oh, depression runs in our family. And I'm like, oh, it almost killed me. So being a suicide prevention advocate is about educating people, you know, not just with suicide, but with mental health and letting them know that those two go hand in hand. And if you pick up the signs, the, the, if you, um, uh, if you pick up the signs early, 
you can save a life. You can help someone. But we got to get rid of that stigma that is choking our culture and people of color so people won't be afraid to go get the help that they need. Mm -hmm. And I, one of the questions that I want to ask is, after your mom told you, did that make your journey any different? Did it help you in any kind of way? You know, I was in shock because I was in a mental health facility. I had been taken there in handcuffs against my will when my Aunt Kelly had me involuntarily committed. And so for me, it was just like, you know, I'm already in a psychiatric hospital. I'm already um, uh, traumatized from being handcuffed and taken to a mental health facility. And then adding insult to injury, my mother tells me, you know, mental health issues are running our family. And for me, at that moment, when I left that psychiatric hospital after being there a week, I said that from here on out, number one, I was not going to be a revolving door to a psychiatric hospital. I didn't know how I was going to live with depression when they told me that I was diagnosed with clinical depression, but I knew I didn't want to be a revolving door. So when my mom told me that, it was like kind of like an aha moment that I got to do better with helping people understand that a mental health condition can put you in a place like this or it can put you in a grave. So for me, that was start. Yeah, that was my journey of starting. I got to start educating people, and that's what I've been doing for over twenty years. Mm, that was a powerful statement. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, you're doing this work on a daily basis, and like I mentioned, we did our first um, QPR training with you. Can, can you tell our listeners what QPR training is? And and I know that there is a <clears throat> an organization, the QPRinstitute.com, right, where you get your your certificate and, and it enables you to be able to go out and facilitate these trainings. So kind of walk us through what that looks like, what the process is like and why we should all be trained with the QPR. Right. Shanti. Everyone should be taking this training. My motto for that is what is an hour and a half out of your day? If the time spent is learning how to save someone's life. So QPR stands for question, persuade, refer. And in an hour and a half, I can train anyone how to recognize someone who's in crisis or suicidal, how to talk and listen to them without being judgmental. That is very important because if you're judgmental, we're going to shut down and we're like, I'm not talking to you anymore. And it also teaches you how to help someone to get the help that they need. The training is, you know, when people automatically think of suicide, they're like, man, I don't want to take that training. They're glorifying it or it's very more. It's not. It's very uplifting. It's very positive because it's all about positive action and providing hope to get that person help. So I was certified as a QPR certified instructor several years ago. I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship through Mental Health America and got the training and never saw this pandemic coming because before I um, started training online, I'd only trained one class. But when the QPR Institute gave us the green light, to train online, I said, you know what, I'm already at home, I need to do this to help me too, and I started training, and I haven't looked back, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. Yeah, you know, I want to go back to something real quick. When you said, you know, people are like, oh, I don't, I don't think I should take that class, I, you know, I hear people say that if you talk about suicide, right, then it's going to make you more likely to want to do it. Is that a myth or a fact? That is definitely a myth, and I, I knocked that down real quick, even in the training. One of the questions is, um, 
I forgot what it was, but one of the things I always let people know, it is a myth. I even let the media know that because um, I did a story with CBS a, a couple of weeks ago and uh, Jerika Duncan asked me, she said, Fonda, should the media talk more about suicide? And I said, yes. She said, should people know how many people are really dying by suicide? And I told her, yes. And I said, that old myth of if we talk about it, people will do it. That's not true. If we talk about it, we can save lives. And I said, not only that, people need to see that even with people who attempt suicide, that if we get the help we need, we can recover and we can live a good life. So definitely that myth is part of the chokehold on suicide. But the minute you let people know that, it's like you can all, almost see the light bulb going off and them saying, oh, okay. So that's why I keep saying education is really the key to breaking down these walls. And, and how long is each training, Fonda? The training is an hour and a half long, actually. In an hour and a half, you can be trained. And the great thing is, after you get done with the training, if you take the entire hour and a half long training, mm -hmm. you get a certificate that lasts three years. You're now a certified gatekeeper. You're in front of suicide to keep that person from going over to, the, to taking their own life. And you also get a very nice QPR booklet which goes through some of the training that we've gone through, but it also has resources. And one of the things I always tell people when we get finished with the training, please go and make sure you write down the resources in your area because you might only have a split second to get somebody some help. And the more you have those resources on hand, the better it is to help someone right away if they're suicidal. Oh, absolutely. This is so needed. And is, okay, so, is there one for adults and one for teens? And, and is the training any different? And, and why should we tra train our teens around suicide prevention? Wow. That's a great question. And yes, there's two trainings. There's one for adults and there's one for youth. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to be doing one next week for a high school here in Charlotte. They've reached out to me. And the great thing is why youth need to take it is when you look at the suicide rates for youth, that is the second leading cause of death for young people, 10 to 34. Wow. It is also the second. Wow. Yes, and it's the second leading cause of death on college campuses. Over 1,400 college students die every year. And something else I want to really say about that is that the stats, as terrible as they are when I'm calling out, they're actually worse because suicide is underreported. So the difference between the youth and the adult version is really it's not that much of a difference. The only difference is we keep emphasizing for you to go tell someone. If someone says, hey, I'm going to hurt myself, don't go tell anybody. Because if you do, I'm going to be mad. I teach the youth, you go tell someone. You go tell someone. And that is really the only difference between the adult version and the youth version is we urge youth to go and tell a teacher, a parent, um, uh, any adult who can help that person to get the help that they need. Wow, that that I am just you know blown away at how far we've come um, in terms of these trainings. Do you know how long people have been offering these trainings, and and is this something that you think people in the African American community are now starting to be okay with? Um, I don't know how long. Now the institute has been around for a minute, so I don't know exactly how long. Mm -hmm. But as far as the African American community, I've been very proud to say. 
all my trainings, I'm getting more and more African Americans to take this training. I'm getting more and more African Americans to reach out and want to take the training. And I love the emails that I get after I train because I had a black woman who reached out to me who took the training. And she said, you know what? I was a little apprehensive to take it, but thank God I took it. She said, because we needed it. Something else I'm getting a lot of. I'm getting a lot more um, athletic trainers at universities wanting to take the training. And some of them have actually taken the training before. But they love my training because they said, number one, I bring in the culture piece. Mm -hmm. Because as I told the Institute, you cannot, mental health is not one size fits all. So therefore, you cannot teach it that way. Mm -hmm. They also like the fact that I use my own experience. And I use it within the training so people will really know what mental health looks like, what suicide looks like, and what to do and what not to do. Like one of the things that I always teach people, when you come across someone who's in crisis, I know for the most part, if it's a friend, a family member, someone we care about, you want to put your hand, you want to go up and hug us and say it's going to be okay. You cannot do that when we're in crisis because we might not be thinking clearly. We might be in a psychosis state. We might be thinking you're trying to hurt us. And if you put your hands on us, you can get hurt, we can get hurt, or both of us can get hurt. Now, so what you do? Is, for me. What does it mean yeah. when you're in crisis? First, I know what it is, but for someone okay. who might not know. Okay, I'll give you an example. When I was in crisis, I was like, I wasn't thinking clearly. Mm -hmm. I didn't want anybody to be around me. All of a sudden, you're thinking about death. That's all you want to do. You want to, it's that, what is it, that fl flight or fight something and that's what it's like you are in a crisis like i just wanted to die and i didn't want anybody to bother me with that i just wanted to be by myself and when you're in crisis your mind's racing a hundred miles an hour you are not thinking clearly you don't even know really sometimes what's going on and then as i said when someone is trying to help you or trying to get you help you might be in your mind because it's not functioning properly and you're at high alert. You might be thinking, oh, my God, this person is trying to hurt me. They're trying to take me somewhere that I don't want to go. Nothing's wrong with me. You're still thinking in your mind nothing's wrong with you. And so, again, when somebody puts their hands on you, it jerks it up five times more. And I always tell people, talk to us at a distance and a calm and reassuring manner. Let us know that you're there. To help us but do not put your hands on us because when I did that with that police officer who put his hand on me to say listen you're going with me I scratched him and when I scratched him he grabbed me by the back of my neck he shook me extremely hard and if it wasn't for my son who was standing beside me at 12 and said mom you need to get help I could have gotten seriously injured so again that QPR tra um, training is invaluable at really helping people to save someone's life. And so one of the questions that I want to ask, and I'm not, I guess it's a two-part question. Since your um, attempt 25 years ago, I think you said, yes. have, you, have you had any other experiences where you have um, felt that way again? And the reason why I'm asking this is because I wanted to know if by you taking the training and being able to administer training, does it help you recognize the signs within yourself before they happen? Yes, and that's another great question. I, um, uh, the thing is, like I said, this is an everyday journey. It's never going to go away, and I'm just very fortunate that I know what to do. 
And um, the last time that I was truly suicidal was back in 2014. Mm -hmm. I was at my gym and I was actually came out of my gym and was thinking about jumping over, um, jumping off a parking deck. And something told me, no, just get in the car and drive. Mm -hmm. and, I got, and I got in the car and I love the moon. And at, mm -hmm. to this day, that was the biggest, brightest moon I had ever seen in my life. And it was like it was watching over me to drive home. Mm -hmm. And I get home, and instead of going in my apartment, I pulled to the back of my apartment complex, and I just sat there and cried. And I said, please, God, help me. I don't want to die. And I reached down and got my phone and called my therapist. I didn't have any money at the time, nor insurance. And I uh, left a message for my therapist. And I went in my apartment and my son was there and I just walked straight by him like he wasn't even there and went in the door and went in my bedroom and shut the door. And he came in there and um, told me, mom, you can help people like you. He gently kicked me in my pants and he said, you can help people like you. He said, I know you can. And the next day was when my therapist called me and said, come on in, whether you got money or not. Mm -hmm. I reached out to NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I joined NAMI Charlotte and I haven't, I haven't looked back. So when I'm training, I can see, you know, even with telling that story over and over and over, it helps me because it always keeps me on my toes about watching out for myself. Mm -hmm. and, and you know what really drives me when I go down that slippery slope sometimes, when I feel myself going down that slope, I still know what to do. Like Shante said, I can get up and go outside. I can go hit the gym. I have that lifeline on my phone. I can call my son. I can talk to my Aunt Kelly. If push comes to shove, I can reach out and call a CIT officer or the crisis mobile unit. So I know what to do. Think about how many people that don't. And that's why the suicide rates are through the roof. Okay. And um, I also wanted to ask, you know, if you knew, because there have been people discussing how um, suicide or the act of suicide can be contagious, right? Have you ever heard that before? Um, yes. Said, right? So earlier when you were saying, um, and when Shanti asked about, um, if we discuss it more, do you think that it then creates a chain reaction? But if, and you answered that saying no, I wanted to ask also to discuss why those two things would kind of like, um, be opposite of each other. It's not that necessarily the discussing of it that is um, the issue, more so than when people experience it. Can you speak to that point a little bit? Okay, can you, so you're asking, can you repeat that for me one more time, please? Yeah, so what I'm asking essentially is, you know, it's been said that there's studies that, sh that say that the act of suicide can be contagious the act of it, somebody who dies by suicide, maybe the act of someone experiencing it. Although that is not the same as educating yourself on it, because I think that maybe the misunderstanding is having any conversations or entertaining suicide in any capacity is what creates the contagion of it or the, the thought processes of it, um, those things. Can you speak maybe to how that could be a little bit different to or how that taking this training actually can help prevent that, if you would. Okay. Well, the training does touch on a little bit of some of the warning signs or some of the things that can cause someone to want to die by suicide. They're threefold in the QPR suicide prevention training. It's indirect and, and direct verbal clues. What someone says, 
there is situational clues where someone uh, might be going to, to jail or got fired from their job or money's tight. That's a situational thing. Then you have behavioral clues. And one of those behavioral clues is if someone has lost somebody by suicide, like what Shantae went through, she lost her father. And, it's, and, and it is higher. The suicide rates are higher mm -hmm. if someone in a family has died by suicide. But again, if that person gets the help, if they are aware, if they know the signs, it still is a very low percentage of where someone will go back and take their own life. So again, and also in that training, when we talk about it, it also, believe it or not, as mad as I was at my Aunt Kelly for having me involuntarily committed, mm. I felt relieved. I felt relieved because I had no idea what was going on with me. So believe it or not, people who are suicidal, if you talk to them about it, if you bring it up to them, most people feel relieved. Now, again, we're not going to be able to stop every suicide. That's my goal. I would love a world without suicide. We're not going to be able to stop all of them. But again, the more conversations we have and we, and we make it normal. See, that's part of it too. Mental health and suicide are these dark, ugly topics, and they shouldn't be. Because the more we talk about it, the more children are going to feel comfortable. You have no idea how I get slammed when I go and speak to students in, in high school and middle school. You know, I'll get up there and I'll speak and I'll say, does anybody have any questions? And they'll be real quiet and they'll say no. As soon as they say, okay, we're dismissed, I get slammed. So people are wanting to talk about it. People are That's wanting right. to share. We just have to be willing to listen mm -hmm. and not be judgmental. Mm-hmm. I can completely see that. And even with our panels and different things that we do, community conversations, um, we're often having to almost get kicked out of the building because everybody wants to talk. And that also, too, I guess, to the point, it's contagious. Once people start to heal, healing can be contagious. Yes. And so I, um, I also wanted to ask, is this something that school counselors or principals, HR directors, is this something that is a required in some of their training at all, or is it something that is offered to them? Well, for me, I offer it and I push them hard. I, I think that this QPR training, they said for, for um, youth, it should be 15 years old. But when you look at the stats for suicide, suicide more suicides for, uh, start in middle school. Yeah. So to me, it should be in middle school. We should start because 10 year olds are dying by suicide. Mm -hmm. We need to start training this now so here in charlotte mecklenburg in the school system you already have some schools taking the initiatives to train their ninth graders but i just don't want the ninth graders trained i want all students trained and i think it's very important y'all when it comes to going off to college these high school students especially seniors need to be trained so they take that right with them when they go to college so i would love for it to be mandatory some uh, like stanford university it is mandatory for their student athletes to take QPR suicide prevention training. BYU offers it. But the thing is, is that do they put the cultural piece in it as well? And that's something I went to the um, QPR Institute and I told them, I said, hey, we can't let this training keep rolling out like this without adding the culture piece. So myself and two other um, black women we were able to change and add the culture piece to it, not just for African-Americans, but for all cultures. And it should be rolling out in the next week or so. 
So for me, like I told Shante, I would love for everyone to take this training because it's that invaluable and it does save lives. That's beautiful. And I'd like to ask um, maybe for those of our listeners who's listening who may not know what it looks like or mean when you say to add the coach piece. I know what you mean, but can you speak a little bit to what you feel like lacks sometimes in that space? Yes. Um, when I first saw the training, uh, the first time I did the training, I didn't go through the, the slides that, you know, thorough. And when I went back and looked at them and I said, oh my God, the culture piece is missing from this. So therefore, and that's talking about not only with African-Americans, but Native Americans, Hispanics, Asian, Island Pacificers, you know, just all these different cultures, because let's face it, mental health is not one size fits all. I wrote a blog for NAMI called You Can't Pray Away a Mental Health Condition. And they said that's still one of their most popular blogs to date because I broke down from African-Americans being taken against their will and brought to this country and how all of that affected our mental health. So again, you have cultures like Hispanics. They're just like African-Americans. They don't want to hear about mental health. They'll tell you we're mm -hmm. strong. We're strong people. Asians, they don't want to talk about their high achievers. You know, how dare you have a mental health condition when we want you to be a doctor or a scientist. So again, you have to add that culture piece because when you're helping someone in, in crisis, as I've told a lot of the white people who've taken our training, you have to know how cultures feel about mental health so that way you can help them better. So it's very, very important to add the culture piece. And I've had trainers who've taken the training from other people. And again, they say, thank you for adding the culture because we had no idea that black people look at mental health totally different than we do. So it's very important to add that piece. Mm -hmm. So I have two more questions before um, we would wrap up. Okay. One of which is if you in your space right now um, could speak to yourself in crisis or 25 years ago or in 2014, what is something that you would say um, knowing, from the, knowing from the experience through your trainings as well as the experience of your lived experience? What, are, what is something that you would um, say to yourself in those moments? I think I would say um, when it comes to at the end of the training that you're not alone. You'll get through this. It's going to be okay. Because in that moment when I go into detail about my suicide and what I was thinking, um, I think the biggest thing is that I was thinking that I was going to have to live like this for the rest of my life. I was going to have to live in this incredible pain that I never was going to get over it. No one cared and no one understood how I was feeling. And so I would just tell myself that you're not alone, that we'll get through this and that you can recover and you can be okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rhonda, we are so, so, so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm proud of you too. And I am so glad that you, cause I keep telling everyone that, you know, I know everybody has their mental health organizations and everybody's jockeying for money and, you know, things like that to keep it going. But we really do have to connect the dots and work together. And especially when we're looking at African-American um, nonprofits who really want to help our people with mental health. So I'm very proud of you. I am looking so forward to us getting so much work done to um, help our people. And I, I'm, I just, you know, every day, I never take for granted, guys, that I'm here. Mm -hmm. I never take it for granted. 
Absolutely. You know, you know, just because no day is promised to us what it says in the Bible, but when you're dealing with a mental health condition and you're, and you're fighting, I never take it for granted. And I'm just so proud to be here. I'm so thankful and I'm going to do everything I can to help anyone who's suffering with a mental health condition or thinking about suicide. Well, we are definitely sisters in service because I feel the same way. That's why I started my organization as well. And, you know, we, we got a lot of work to do, Fonda. So we do. We got a lot of work. And along the way, we got to pick up people. And I'll tell you all one other thing, too. I just got finished talking to um, Chris Thomas, whose son is Solomon Thomas, that plays for the San Francisco 49ers. Mm -hmm. And Mental Health America just had their two-day a virtual conference and I, I was mental health out so I had to take a break but anyway he was talking about how Michelle Williams because I was telling him that my therapist when I went to see him last week I mean this week he was telling me he said Fonda you just do too much you got to remember to when your cup is empty you got to take a break but I told him that I feel like if, if somebody calls me or somebody reaches out and I don't help them and something happens, I take it personal. So anyway, he was saying how Michelle Williams was saying, he said, Fonda, it's amazing. Y'all's stories sound exactly alike. And I said, exactly, except that she's just an entertainer. So that's what I'm saying, Shante. We have got to pull everybody together and stand together and say, even though you might have $5 million in the bank and Fonda has 50, that mental health condition doesn't care. And it doesn't pay that much. What'd you say? I said, you're right. It does not discriminate. It doesn't care. We got a lot of racism in this country, discrimination, but guess what doesn't discriminate? Mental health. It'll take you down to your knees. You can have $5 million in the bank and be sitting up in your bed, crawled up in a ball because you cannot get up out of the bed. And we see it play out, you know, far too often. So, Exactly. It's days that y'all, I'm telling y'all, it's days that I sit here on this sofa and I don't feel like doing anything, combing my hair, brushing my teeth, and my arms feel like it weighs a hundred, they weigh 150 pounds a piece. And I'm helping a student athlete who's a junior in college right now, African-American, handsome as he can be, probably going to end up in the NFL. And he told me, he said, Miss Fonda with depression, he said, when we were doing summer workouts, he said, I would come home and sit on that sofa and I couldn't even get up the rest of the day. Mm. And, and, and people think, but you know what they think? Oh, we look perfectly healthy. Mm. We look perfectly great, but they have no idea on the inside that smile is hiding a lot of pain. So you're right. We got a lot of work to do and I'm up for the challenge, but we still need help. We need other people to get involved and help us too. And, and we will definitely. And, and so, as I mentioned, September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Silence to Shame has a virtual 5K that's ongoing. Um, it goes through October 11th. It's only $12 to register. So we hope that you guys will consider registering. Go to our website, silencetoshame.com. And if you raise $50, you get a free Silence to Shame um, special T-shirt that we made exclusively just for the walk. And then also when you register, you get a virtual frame that you can post on social media and you can put the name of the person that you're walking for. So like when I post mine, Fonda, I'm going to be walking for my dad. I'm going to do one for my best friend. So hopefully. Please send it to me so I can um, I share it on my Facebook page and my social media as well. Because that's what I told you. At the end of the day, we all got to work together. It's no need to get, you know, no need for people to be jealous or anything like that. Because at the end of the day, it's plenty of work for us to do. And it's all about saving lives. And we appreciate it's all about saving lives. And that's what I, even with, the, even with these big organizations, um, we just had a meeting with NAMI. Um, we were just talking about this. I met with the 
with NAMI National. And I told him at the end of the day, I said, guys, this is not about us. Mm-hmm. This is about saving lives and helping people so people can lead a good life. So, yeah, I, I, please send it to me. I will share it. I will put it out there for you and um, everything because you're doing a great job, too. Thank you. And, and speaking of QPR training, Silo Shane will be working again with Fonda this month. So make sure you guys tap into our Facebook page. Um, we just put our LinkedIn page together, um, Instagram and Twitter, and we'll let you guys know about the upcoming trainings that we have this month. So thank you guys again. Free vision. Do you have any parting words? Um, no, I think that this was great. And I'm, I'm just very grateful to, to see a lot of black women leading the charge on this, you know, to find this point of what she was discussing about the, um, the cultural component. So I'm very, I'm very grateful to be a part and seeing you guys lead the charge and being just as nurturing as you always have. So this just makes me smile internally. Yeah, it does me too, because if you told me 20, 25 years ago, after being handcuffed and taken to a mental health facility that I was going to be doing this kind of work, I would have probably said no, and not at this level, but I'm just very proud. And I just know it's nothing but God, because I should have been dead when I was a teenager. So it's a, it's mm-hmm. a true blessing. God had other plans. God had other plans. He sure did. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm so glad I'm here. And that's why I said, he when I get tired, he picks me up and keeps helping me get through. Yeah, so it, it's plans for both of us. It, it definitely so I, I appreciate it, Shante, for having me on. And like I said, we're going to keep working together. And we are going to put a dent in suicide. And we are going to help people with mental health issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, my name is Shanti Das. I am your host. This is episode 35. You can follow us at Silence the Shame on Instagram, at Silence TH Shame on Facebook and Twitter, at Silence the Shame on LinkedIn, and uh, make sure you uh, check us out. We, we got a lot going on. And how can we follow you, Free? Um, you can follow me at Free the Vision everywhere. Um, and yeah, everywhere I am Free the Vision. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you guys. We know we're still in the middle of a pandemic. So you guys be safe, be well, be kind to one another and take time, save a life and silence the shame.